Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see you and to be with you here today. Um, today, we're going to continue on in our new series entitled Life in the Spirit. And for those of you who missed last week, or if you're new with us, if this is your first Sunday, uh, you can actually go onto our website and watch last week's message. And uh, yes, I did say watch, not just listen. And that's because a while back, we decided to uh, start videotaping our messages, but we were waiting to start a new series to, to put them up there. And so, uh, again, if you missed, just, you can go on there and watch it and get caught up, and we would encourage you to do that. Um, but today, as we get going, I just wanted to start off by asking you a question, and, and that is this. Uh, who here really dislikes having to ask others for help? Like, in other words, you would rather just do whatever it takes to do things on your own, just so you can simply avoid having to ask someone for help. Does that describe anybody? Well, that certainly uh, describes me as well, and, and I'm, I'm not sure why it's so hard for me to ask for help. I've I've tried to analyze this throughout the years. I've, you know, tried to go back into my childhood. Was I like in kindergarten and I asked the teacher for help and she was like, no, you know, and pushed me or something. And that, that, as far as I know, that didn't happen. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure why this is so hard. But, but one of the things I've realized is that at least part of it is uh, I, I, I hate that feeling that you're inconveniencing somebody. That feeling that you've really put somebody out. And in fact, it was so bad when I was a little kid that um, whenever with like little league or school, I'd have to like sell candy bars, you know, and go door to door. I hated that. Like, and I'm sure part of it was that fear of rejection that you knock on somebody's door and they're like, no, I'm not buying your candy bars. Get off my porch. But, um, so I'm sure that's part of it. I think part of it really though, was that feeling of here I am interrupting someone's day that I've just intruded onto their porch. I've knocked on the door and now I'm saying, give me some money. And so it used to kill me. Like I, I would usually just scour my piggy bank to see how many I could buy myself just so that it looked like I bought some, but that I didn't have to go door to door. And so I think that's part of the reason why it's hard for me to ask for help. Uh, I think another big part is just my pride. Um, I think I think to myself often, well, I don't, I don't really need the help. Or I think, but if I ask them to help me, they might screw it up and I could probably just do it better myself. And so again, I think part of it's my pride, but but the problem with not asking for help when you need it is that you can end up really hurting yourself and, and getting yourself into trouble. Um, for example, uh, a while back, a group had used our church for an event and they had set up tables and chairs in the fellowship hall and uh, they had forgot to put them away. And so our administrative uh, team emailed the staff and just said, hey, could a couple of you pitch in and just help put the tables and chairs away before Sunday? And, you know, it was a group email and, and nobody really responded right away. And so I thought, you know, these bums, they're not going to help. I'll just do it myself, you know. And um, so I, I came in early and I went back in there and there were about eight to ten of those long wood tables set up with some chairs. And if you've ever helped set up for an event here, you'll know that those wood tables are from the pit of hell. I don't I, I know they I know they look like wood, but there is no way those tables are made of wood. It's like titanium or iron or something. But. Um, and, and then the other thing is we have them on a card and you have to stack them like metal on metal and wood on wood. So there's a lot of flipping. And anyway, it's just too much for one person. But I was determined. I was prideful. And and so about table number eight or nine, I noticed my back's really starting to hurt. <laughs> and um, and so I, I, I finally get everything put away. And, and then I run into some people on staff and they're like, where's all the tables and chairs they asked us to put away? Like I came in to put them away and I'm like, wow, I, I just went ahead and did it, you know, and, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, what? <laughs> you shouldn't do that, you know, but but I did it. Well, the next day I wake up and I had essentially thrown my back out and 
It was just that feeling of like when you're walking and all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh my back, you know. And uh, so I learned my lesson that day that, that sometimes you need to ask for help. And what I've found throughout the years is that oftentimes, maybe because of my pride or because of my fear of inconveniencing someone, that, that, that the Lord has to expose my weaknesses. He has to bring me to a place where I realize my limitations in order uh, so that I can uh, acknowledge my need for help. And acknowledge uh, my need for help in such a way that I have to actually then go and seek it out. I think that's probably why he gave me twins, you know. <laughs> when you have twins, you just, you need help. You need lots of help. You can't even carry them into the church by yourself. And so um, he just has done that in my life. And what we're going to see in today's passage is that you and I are in need of some serious help when it comes to living out this thing called the Christian life. You see, there's, there's no way... That any of us can live this thing out in our own strength. If we even try to do it in our own strength, we're going we're gonna to burn out, we're going to phase out, or we're, gonna, you know, really, we're really going to fail. But the good news for us today is that one of the main roles, and even one of the main titles and names of the Holy Spirit, is that He is the Helper. And so before we stand and read today's passage, uh, let me just open us up with a word of prayer. And invite the helper to help us. So, uh, Father, we are so thankful that you're involved in our lives, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, have given and sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper. And I just pray now that, that he would help uh, illuminate the scriptures to us. That he would give us soft hearts to hear from you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you do have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8. And if you, uh, it's on page 944 in our Pew Bibles. And, and if you would, I know there's been a lot of standing and sitting, but go ahead and stand as we read today's passage. And we're going to read verses 14 through 17, and then we're going to skip down to verses 26 and 27. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, to guide our time this morning, or kind of as an outline, I just want to walk through and answer three simple questions. First off, who does the Spirit help? Secondly, why does the Spirit help? And then third, how does He actually help us? And so starting with that first question, who does the Spirit help? Well, this may seem like an easy one, and it may even seem unnecessary, and yet I do want to make this one simple point, and that is this. We're told here in these verses that the Spirit helps the sons, or in other words, the children of God in verses 14 through 17. As well, later on in verse 27, he says that the, the Spirit intercedes for the saints, and, and so he helps the saints. Now, according to the Gospel of John in chapter 1, the, the only people who 
uh, have become the children of God or the ones who have received Jesus and have believed in his name. And so very simply, the bottom line is this. Just because you are a human being, just because you believe in, in quote unquote God, that does not mean that you are a child of God. That means you are part of his creation. But to get into the family requires that you receive and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And so he helps the sons or the children of God. And, and as far as that word saying, it just simply means set apart or to sanctify, to be made holy. And if you grew up Catholic, that word may have a different image or a, a different meaning to you. But, but when the Bible uses that word saint, it is referring to all believers. That's why the Apostle Paul, in many of his letters, he would, he would start off by addressing them to the saints in Corinth. And if you've ever read that book, that church by no means had everything together. And so it's not talking about a special class of believers, but rather all believers. And so, again, according to Romans 8, the spirit helps the saints and he helps the children of God. Uh, just one quick qualify here. He don't get me wrong. The spirit does help and does play a major role in the salvation process. And so he is active in the life of. Of unbelievers, but as far as uh, what we're going to see today in Romans eight, it's it's in uh, reference to those who are followers of Jesus, and so that's why, or that's who he helps. But let's move on to the second question, and that is this: Why does he help? Well, just two thoughts here. Number one, he helps because that is who he is. You see, the Holy Spirit, by his very nature, is a helper. And that's why when Jesus was, was talking to his disciples about the fact that he was going to uh, die on a cross, that he was going to rise again, and that eventually he was going to leave them, that, that as he began to share that information with them uh, at the Last Supper, that, that he knew that that would begin to cause them to panic, that that would create some anxiety in them. And so as he was discussing these things, he at that point started to introduce them to the Holy Spirit. To the role that the spirit would play in their lives and so what he was like. And so if you would turn back in your Bibles to John chapter 14 to where Jesus is talking about this, you'll you'll see this conversation taking place. And in verse two of John 14, Jesus tells him, he says, guys, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. But if I go, I will come back for you. And so in other words, he's like, look, guys, I'm, I'm leaving. I've got, I've got some other work to do, but I will come back and get you. And you, you know what, guys, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And I just love how real and honest the Bible is in this next section. You know, the, the Bible doesn't pretend like we're all Superman. And Jesus' own disciples were not Superman. They had many flaws. And in verse 5, my boy Thomas, good old Downton Thomas, he, he, he speaks up. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And maybe he was thinking to himself, Lord, I, I think I was looking on my iPhone when you were talking about where you're going and the way. And so could you just repeat that, Lord? Or maybe more accurately, he was thinking, Lord, what do you mean we know the way? You're always so vague and you're, you're speaking so mysteriously. And, you know, you're always talking to us in parables. And then, you know, you're talking about bread and leaven. And then we're like, well, we forgot bread. And you're like, guys, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the Pharisees and their teaching. And so, no, Lord, we don't know the way. <laughs> we need some help. Can you tell us the way? And I, I just love how uh, graciously the Lord responds in verse six. He says, Thomas, you know the way, Thomas, I am the way I am the truth and the life. Thomas, you know the way because you know me. And so stop worrying. But as he continues on, maybe he senses their anxious emotions are still present. And so in verse 15, he says this. 
He says, guys, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so here we see Jesus promise that he, as he ascends, he will uh, ask the father and the father will send to us another helper. Now, some of your Bibles there for that word helper might use the word advocate or counselor. Uh, The Greek word there is parakletos and and the transliteration of it into English is the paraclete. And so what that word is, is is that it's the combination of, of two words brought together. The one meaning one who has been called and the other meaning alongside of another. And so what that word is, is getting at and what image is being stirred up is the idea of someone who will stand alongside of another. And so if you were in legal trouble, the paraclete would be someone like an attorney who would stand alongside of you and defend you. If you needed guidance, the paraclete was someone who would come alongside of you and give you counsel. If you didn't understand something, then the paraclete would would come alongside of you and teach you. If you were too weak to to face a a, a task or or to accomplish a task, then the, the, the paraclete was like a friend who would come alongside of you and help you. And so it's just so incredibly significant that that Jesus, as he's teaching on the Holy Spirit in these chapters, that that when he was looking for a a word to describe what the spirit's role is like, that he chose this word paraclete, that he chose this word helper. You see, he wanted his disciples to know and understand that, yes, they cannot live this life without him, but that they don't need to worry because he was going to send them another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he flushes a little bit more of this out. He, at the end of 17, he says, guys, you already know him. He, he's been dwelling with you. His, his presence has been all around these last three years. And so you will recognize him. You already know him, but he's going to not just be around you. He's going to be in you and he's going to dwell with you forever. He takes things a step farther in chapter 16, verse seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage That I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Some translations there even say uh, it's best for you that I go away. And you can just imagine them hearing that like, Lord, what are you talking? What do you mean it's best for you to go away? And I think what that illustrates is it just shows that that Jesus viewed the work And the ministry of the Holy Spirit so significant in our lives that he's actually bold enough to say, guys, it's actually better that I leave so that he can come. And I just wonder sometimes how many of us actually believe that. I think sometimes we look around and we think, man, we need Jesus here. And Jesus is saying, guys, you have the Holy Spirit. I already told you it was better that I leave so that he can come. You have the helper. And so why does the spirit help? Number one, because that's who he is. That's what he does. But but not only that, the second reason he helps is because, as we've already acknowledged, we need the help. He has a he has some work to do. He has a, a role to play. And and I know that in this series, uh, we have just jumped right into a uh, the middle of a chapter or we've jumped into a chapter in the middle of a book. And and we've jumped into Romans eight and in, in the middle of the book of Romans. 
But if you would take the time and, and, and start in chapter one of Romans, you uh, would begin to realize very quickly that that we as human beings are in some major trouble. In chapter one, we're told that God's wrath is against all those who are ungodly and against the unrighteous. Uh, it even says there that God, he, he says that even though the truth about who he is, is evident that it's been made uh, perfectly uh, known in creation. Um, human beings have still chosen to worship and to serve other things besides him. And so just in chapter one, you start reading and you're like, uh, this is not good. We are in trouble. And then you get to chapter two and we're told there that God is going to judge us. And then he's going to judge us because he has a law that, 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 that is perfect that we have not uh, lived up to. You get to chapter three and we're told there that, that no one is righteous. No one seeks after God. And so uh, if at this point, if you don't know anything about the Bible or about Christianity or about uh, God, and you stopped reading halfway through chapter three, you at this point would start to be pretty depressed. In fact, you wouldn't just be depressed. You would actually be quite terrified. But if you kept on reading, particularly in chapter three, you would soon discover that there is some hope. There's good news. In fact, if you got to verse 21, you would read this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that's good. That's good news. That's encouraging. God's wrath is coming for those who are unrighteous. But here we see that there's a way to get righteous apart from the law, apart from from being perfect, from doing everything that's right. And the way that we get that righteousness is through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can work for, but rather it's a gift that we receive by faith. And if we kept on reading from there, we'd get to chapter five, verse six. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse eight says, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. And so this is fantastic. This is the good news, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter one again told us that God's wrath was coming on the unrighteous, that it was coming on the ungodly. But now we have seen that Jesus died for the ungodly. He has given us his righteousness. And so we are no longer unrighteous. And therefore, God's wrath and his judgment, it no longer remains on us. And so now you and I, we can have a relationship. We can have peace with our creator. And so again, this is wonderful. This is the good news. And so we may think, well, well, what else do we need help with? It seems like all of our problems have, have been solved. And, and, and in fact, our, our biggest need, our biggest problem has been solved. But, but I think Paul realized that, that you and I might have some more questions that need answered. He, he, you know, if you keep on reading in this book, you get to chapter six. And, and one of the questions that's raised is, well, why if Jesus died for my sins, do I, do I keep messing up? Why is this life so hard to, to live out? And why, is it, why am I having so much trouble overcoming sin? You also see him answer this question, well, why does it even matter? I mean, we're saved by grace, and so 
maybe we should just sin so that God's grace is shown even more spectacular. And he, and he begins to address those questions in chapter 6 and 7. At the beginning of 8, he begins to show us that, that it's through the help of the Holy Spirit that we actually put to death our sins. And Pastor Chris uh, started to share on that last week. And so now as we move on in chapter 8, we see him begin to address a couple other, uh, other areas of our lives in which we need help. We see that you and I are going to need help from the Spirit to realize that we are the children of God. We're going to need help to understand, uh, to, to know why suffering comes into our lives and to, to have help to, to be able to endure those moments. We, we're going to see that we need help in our prayer lives, that, that sometimes because of the suffering that comes into our lives, there'll be those moments where, where we won't even have the words to pray, that, that all that will come out is a groan, and, and we're going to need someone to help us in that. In fact, you and I, we need someone to pray for us. This life is hard. We need someone on our side who is there praying for us. And so all that to say, yes, the gospel has answered our biggest need. And again, the thing we need help in the most. But there are still these realities that until we die or until Christ returns, we are in desperate need of someone to help us. And here in this amazing chapter, we are told that that is what the spirit does. And so why does the spirit help? Because that's who he is. And because you and I need help. And so let's move on to that last question. And that is this. How then does the spirit help us? And so let me just reread verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so what we just read here, I believe, is one of the most significant roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is his work, his role of affirming our adoption into God's family. See, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but if, if you're a Christian, there is this, uh, there, there's an enemy out there and he hates you. And you, I know, you know, we're not always aware of it, but, but just trust me, he hates you. And, and in fact, when Jesus was describing this enemy and, and describing him in John 10, 10, he says that the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. Those are some pretty descriptive words. He wants to steal from you, kill you and destroy you. And I believe one of the primary things that the enemy is trying to steal, kill and destroy in the life of every Christian is their hope and their confidence and their belief that they are, in fact, a child of God. See, because he realizes that if he can get you to doubt that, if he can get you to question the fact that you're a child of God, then then he can begin to mess with your identity. He can get you to, to, to start to think that, that, that perhaps you have been forsaken. To get you to believe that, that you don't measure up, that you uh, are, are having to seek some approval. He can even get you to fall back into your old identity as a slave of fear. And so he can create all of this fear and insecurity into your lives. He can, he can get you to believe that you are a slave to sin. But here, Paul realizes this, and in verse 14, he just simply says, guys, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God. 
It's a fact. It's not up for debate. He goes on to say, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to fall back into that insecurity. No, you received the spirit of adoption. And because of that, that's why the the Holy Spirit enables you to cry out and to say, Abba, Father. And so if you have received Christ, then you have been adopted into God's family. And there's nothing that the enemy can do to take that position or that status away from you. And he knows that. And so since he knows he can't take it away, he's going to throw everything at you to try to get you to doubt that. I think it's interesting here that he that he says that the spirit helps us cry, Abba, Father. The spirit wants you to know who uh, whose kid you are. And he enables us to cry out to God as father. And you might be familiar with that word Abba and, and, and no, it's not that weird Swedish band from the 70s. Uh, it's actually an Aramaic term for the word father. And we see Jesus use that word in Mark 14, 36, when he's crying out in the garden before he goes to the cross. And some uh, New Testament scholars have suggested that that word Abba is a, a more endearing term. It's a more childlike term uh, for father, almost like the word daddy or dada. And, and whether or not that's true, because there is some debate about that, uh, I think the, the point is, is just very clear, is that Jesus in his life, and also the other New Testament writers, they, they have shown us that we have been invited to address God as Father. And that in and of itself is an amazing thing. In fact, one commentator I came across, he said this about it. He said, Jews, to be sure, knew how to pray, and they prayed fervently, but... They avoided pronouncing God's name when possible, and when not, they accompanied his name with a blessing for fear of profaning it. But in a remarkable break with tradition, Jesus dared to address God simply and intimately as Father in his prayers. Indeed, probably addressing God as Abba, since the Aramaic appears to lie beneath the Greek word for Father. And he invited his followers to do the same. And so I know we've gotten kind of used to this, this thought of God as being our father, but this was amazing. This was Jesus breaking from tradition and revealing to us who God really is. And again, according to this passage, it, it, it seems to say that the spirit enables us to, with freedom, cry out to God as our father. But not only that, look at verse 16. It says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so maybe you're thinking, well, what does that look like or or how does he do that? Well, in Romans chapter five and verse five, uh, we're told this, that God's love, that the father's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so, again, one of the ways that the spirit bears witness with our spirit is that is that he pours the father's love into our hearts. He enables us to feel and to experience and to know that we, in fact, are God's children. In fact, I had one of these experiences this week. Um, this past week, I was uh, working on this message, and it just was not going well. <laughs> and um, I, I was starting to panic a little bit. I, I had spent some time working on it, and I, I hadn't come up with very much. And I, and I left that day with about two pages written, and I went home very discouraged, and I was sharing it with my wife. And she's like, well, what do you have? And so I started reading it to her. And, and even as I was reading, I was like, this is not good. I'm, I'm not going to use this, you know, which just created more fear and anxiety because I realized I was going to be starting over the next day. 
And so I just, again, was discouraged. I, I, I uh, got up early. I came in here before anyone was in. And, and my plan was just to sit down and just begin to try to knock it out. And again, I was just feeling so anxious. And I just knew I, I can't sit down at that computer yet. I need to go spend some time with the Lord. And so I grabbed my Bible and I went out to the courtyard here and I just began to pray and I, I and read the scriptures. And I was just starting to journal. And I just asked the Lord in my journal, I just said, Lord, what do you want to say to me this morning? And, and immediately the word rest just began to come into my mind and into my heart. And I was like, rest? You got to be kidding me. What do you mean rest? I, Sunday's coming, you know, I got to stand up in front of people and, and share something, you know. What do you mean Rest. And I just began to pray some more and, and, and to just begin to hear from the Lord. And, and, and I remembered this uh, prayer exercise I learned a while back in a book. Um, it's called The Three R's. And, and it's just this exercise. And the three R's stand for rest, receive, and respond. And I just was like, maybe I should do that. And, and the Lord wants me to rest. So let me try to figure out what that looks like. And, and, um, and so I just began to quiet myself down and to take some deep breaths and just I begin to say in this exercise, you just say, Lord, will you create within my mind a mental picture of rest? Will you just begin to just show me what it looks like to rest? And, and I got to be honest, I've, I've tried different prayer exercises and spiritual exercises throughout the years like this. And, and I haven't really seen much or <laughs> had much happen, but I was desperate that morning. And so I was like, I'm going to try it, you know. And as I close my eyes, and I just begin to ask the Lord that immediately this this picture of, of me holding um, my daughter Mabel began to form in my mind. And I actually have a picture of what it looks like. Um, uh, something She does this all the time. And so it was something like this began to form in my mind. And so after that picture formed, you're supposed to then, the next step is to say, Lord, what do you want me to, to receive from that picture? What do you want to say to me? Or what do you, what do you want me to know? As I began to ask the Lord that, I just heard this voice inside say, Nick, I want you to rest on me. I want you to rest in me the way that Mabel rest on you. And it was just, man, I just something broke in that moment. I just was like, Lord, just thank you. Thank you that as I think of my daughter, Mabel, that's how you think of me. And in that moment, I just felt the, the, the love of the father be poured into my heart. And it, it was such an empowering moment. And I say empowering because I, I, I just was able to get up from there and go to my desk and erase those two pages that I wasn't going to use. And I, I just began to write. And, and within the matter of an hour or so, I wrote about half of my message. And I was just like, Lord, you're just so good. You're just so faithful. You just want me to trust you. And so, I, again, I, it, it might not look like that for you. But, I, but what I think was going on there for me was that was a moment of the Spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I Nick Carruthers, I'm a child of God. Because I'm a child of God, I don't have to impress you guys. <laughs> I love you guys, and you can be intimidating, but I don't have to impress you. I'm a child of God. Because I'm a child of God, he's gonna, the Spirit's going to help me. He's not going to let me come up here and just, you know, go blank and start to fumble on my words. I mean, sometimes that happens, but he's not going to just completely let me fall on my face. He's going to help me. And so that's what the Spirit does. He bears witness with our spirit. He reminds us, He affirms to us that we are children of God. But not only that, and, and what else does He do? In verses 26 and 27, we're told this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts 
knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And the context of these verses, I know we had to skip down to them, but the the verses before them, Paul is talking about suffering and and pain that comes into our lives. In fact, he even uh, addresses this issue that that creation itself is groaning, that the creation itself knows that that something is broken, that because of the fall, things are not right. And and what happens is that it groans. And he says that there'll be moments in our lives where, where because of pain and because of brokenness that you and I, we're going we're gonna to try to pray. But words are going to fail us in those moments and that all that's going to come out is a groan. But that that's okay. That in fact, it seems to even indicate that that's the spirit helping us, that he's even helping us groan and that it's, it's through those groans that, he, that he's able to take those as prayers to the Father. And that those prayers, that they are perfectly in line with the Father's will. And so as we close here this morning, maybe you're wondering, well, what does this mean for me? How can I apply this? Well, I I don't know all the ways that the spirit might want to apply this, but but let me just suggest a few things here. First off, I think one of the key components or one of the key elements of the spirit's role in affirming our adoption, affirming the fact that we're children of God is that that's meant to bring you in a sense of assurance. It's to help you to know and to know that you know that you have been saved, that you, in fact, have been brought into the family of God. And 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 I just want to say this, if you know, we all of us might walk through seasons or moments where we might be tempted to doubt that. I think that that just sometimes happens in our lives. Something might might come into our lives that just begins. uh, We might have doubts. But and so that might be a moment or a season. But what I want to say is if if you've always felt like that, if you've always just felt unsure, like I just I've, I've never I've never been sure I've not, I don't know that I know that I'm a child of God, then, then I, I just want to encourage you today that you talk to somebody about that. Because the Spirit wants you to know. He doesn't want you just feeling wishy-washy like, yeah, am I in, am I out? No, He wants you to have confidence that you are a child of God. And so if, if you don't have that, then I would just encourage you to, to talk to one of our pastors or to, to a life group leader or, or even come up after the service and, and pray with one of our, our prayer team members. And so that's the, the, that's the first thing. The the second thing I would say is this, if, if you're here and you're like, no, I, I know that I know, I know I'm a child of God, but man, it's been a long time since I've really felt that closeness, since I felt that intimacy that I, that I really felt in any tangible way, the spirit uh, bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God, then, then maybe for you this week, you'll, you, you could take some time and maybe just walk through those three hours that I shared. Maybe just get along quiet and, and, and grab your Bible and grab a journal and just get quiet before the Lord and just say, Lord, will you... Uh, just help me to rest. Will you create a picture of rest in my mind? And, and as he does, just say, Lord, what do you want me to know from that? What do you want to say to me? And as he begins to speak and to, to, to just love on you, just finish by responding, by just telling him how much he means to you. And so again, maybe that's what the Lord would want you to do today or this week is to, is to just to get away and to, to just hear from him. And I, I believe that if you do it, that the spirit will come alongside of you. We're, we're, he's, it's promised that he'll do that, that this is one of the ways that he helps us. And so, again, maybe maybe that's what you should do. And I, and I don't know, maybe there's 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 another way that the Lord wants you uh, to engage with him from this message. But um, for now, let's just close in prayer and ask him to help seal these things in our hearts. Father, we are so thankful that. That Lord Jesus, when you ascended, you didn't leave us as orphans. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you knew that we needed help. Lord, you knew that we're prone to fear, that we're prone to anxiety, and that, that you and your goodness, you sent us the helper, and you sent him even to live inside of us, Lord. And so I just pray that you would help me and my friends here today to, to grow in our confidence, to grow in our faith, that, that the Spirit will, in fact, help us when we need it. That the Spirit will, in fact, remind us in, in, in a really tangible, real way, affirm to us that we are, in fact, children of God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you seal these things in our hearts. Lord, that you help us just to see you. Lord, and I just pray if there's anyone here who, who really, they, they have lacked that assurance their whole life, Lord, that, that they would just take that step of talking to somebody and, and just be, just to talk to them and just to know that they know that they, in fact, have received Jesus and have become a child of God. And so we pray these things in in his name. Amen.